Hi guys, we've managed to grab Scott Weaver's right and he has no idea the questions we're about to ask him, so this should be fun. Make sure you tune in to the next hour and 12 minutes of No Holds Barred insight from the man who turned down Amazon. Not many people can say that. So hello and welcome to a very exciting day for, uh, for us at Hatch, when, because we're um, now recording what is the very first full-blooded version of our um, podcast, Hatching the Future. And it's also very exciting because we thought about, well, where is actually better to start and more logical to start, quite frankly, than um, by kind of introducing uh, Scott Weaver's right, who is um, the ultimate founder of um, Hatch and a very interesting entrepreneur in his own right, having very, very recently secured his second exit. Um, and he's going to talk about the first one of those and the second one of those um, over the next kind of 30 minutes to an hour. And in doing so, I thought, well, actually, who better um, placed in the world, really, to, um, to ask the right kind of questions that make sure that you critically get the value out of this so you can take those learnings forward than um, Fred, who's actually worked with uh, Scott for almost 10 years now. So I'm going to hand over to Fred. You met him last week, um, and he's going to start the grilling. Brilliant. Thanks, Simon. Um, so, You're Scott, <laughs> we've known each other for 10 years. Um, I was 16 years old. Uh, young whippersnapper uh, when I first met you at Kitty Care. Um, so I think uh, it's right that I finally get to ask you some questions, uh, some of which I may, I may know the answers to uh, think, or not. I think they're called payback. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so we start friendly. Um, I guess the, the best place to start is really how you got the concept or, or why you started kiddiecare.com. Um, well, hello, guys. Morning, afternoon to wherever you are in the world. Um, it's always difficult to uh, answer that question. I actually was on the Hammersmith Tube in London with mm. one of my old engineers, and his name was Gurdip, an Indian guy, um, brilliant Microsoft engineer. And I was actually in London working. So um, I, I, I started in business when I was 18. Uh, so the concept of business or being self-employed is... Uh, it's not alien to me, uh, and at that time I was putting wide area networks in uh, London, and Gerdip and I started talking about uh, CompuServe, and CompuServe was an email provider, and they had just gone online in some form of e-com. And what, what year was this? About 1998, okay. the, end, okay. the end of 97, early 98, and it was... Um, so I was five or six at the time. It was the early, certainly the early days of the internet. It was, yeah, very, sure. it, it was early, but there was starting to be some UK online players. And I just thought uh, Kitty Care was prime um, for online sales. However, my biggest concern was, apart from putting the tech together, was, was it possible for mums and dads to buy online given the vertical was such a touch and feely product. Mm. And this is, this is really early and I think it's really, it's, it's very difficult being in the now to kind of get your head around the, how big a deal, how big a decision that was because if you think about Google's formed, founded in the, the same year, so it's before there was any kind of search interface to the internet. Yeah, so it, was before, it was before AdWords. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was before really um, B2C, I call B2C couriers. 
you know, in those days we had B2B couriers. You know, mm-hmm. we had couriers, you, you know, as a wholesaler, you bought product and you got it and, you, and it was delivered to you and you shipped it out. The reality from a consumer point of view, today we have Interlink or DPD or of course yeah. Amazon or we have a gig economy. In those days, there was no couriers set up for single items. They were pallet items. Uh, customers weren't ordering pallets, they were ordering single items. So it was a real challenge for us because we had, you know, fast forward a year, fast forward 18 months, everything was being broken in transit. Mm. So how did, how did you get, so that must have been one of the biggest challenges for you to fix initially because it's, yes, all right, you've got the challenge of basically creating e-commerce because it hadn't been created, but then also, which you wouldn't have thought about, I guess, going into it, how do you then get the goods, physical goods, to people when that service wasn't there either? Yeah, it's a real, it, look, it, it's very difficult. I, I, I was lucky because my, uh, my wife's family had created Kitty Care uh, from a, a single store uh, point of view environment that we had, uh, so I, I inherited foundation, I inherited a business that was already existing, yeah. a great independent store, so there was product to sell. The question was, how do we create an e-commerce solution when there was no e-com technology mm. around? Mm. How do you create a basket and payment gateway when in its infancy, there wasn't many payment providers? And we use a company called SecPay, S-E-C-Pay. And, and, and ironically, because it's so early, you got to know the founders of SecPay mm. because it wasn't an organization like Visa where you just, you just buy a, a, a product and you switch it online. You had to integrate uh, Microsoft front page or Actinit catalog, which was the back end solution, into a cart and somehow plug SecPay in. And was that, did that make slow you down? Or did it cost you a lot more money? Because you solve, usually you solve those challenges either by throwing a load of money at it or by it taking you ages. Well, I, I, I was pretty techy, so I had the ability to patch things together. What my gift was was commercial tech where I could see an opportunity and I was good enough to put things together. I was never a programmer. I was never a, a COBOL basic, you know, uh, uh, in the later days, the WebSphere, you know, programmer. I was a, I was a commercial dude who was able to put platforms together and platform is a very big word for, for a front page or set pay but we cobbled it together <laughs> we cobbled it together way, right? and, and we put um you know probably about uh, 50 items push chairs uh, car seats uh, rattles online and um we waited uh, for the orders to come in and how long did that process take you know, from the, from the day you had that idea on on the tube to up and running first order, was that months, weeks, years? I, you, you, it's a great question. Um, if you think about the idea, it was in ninety seven, early ninety eight, and we started in ninety nine. So um, we floated the idea around the family. We floated the idea about how is this going to happen? Is it possible? Is it too early? And I think going back through all of my uh, e commerce. Um, traits. I've always been very, very early, and I've always proved it could happen. But I've sometimes been too early. You know, fast forward ten years, I was I, I, I put my, we we put Kitty Care online on mobile ten years before it was it, yeah, it, it was really it was relevant, isn't it? Because that, that timing thing, people talk a lot about the timing of businesses, and you know whether you can actually succeed if you get the timing wrong. Or yeah, well, and you actually can fail. Uh, 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 what we learnt, what I learnt in my career very early, if I owned it and controlled the costs, 
I can duck and dive and pivot and and, um, and make it work. So very early in the, in the early days of KiddieCare, we, we, we cobbled it together at zero cost using internal resource. Now that's a big statement because mm-hmm. we only had 15 people working yeah. at KiddieCare in those days. It was an independent store. What well, it was an independent shop. It wasn't an online bureau. It, we had no tech ability apart from what I could put together. So you found people in the organization. You found people who were um, not nerdy, but who had the ability to take photographs. You know, and one of those guys was in the warehouse. Is he talking about you at this stage, Fred? I think this is. This was maybe slightly, uh, slightly before my time. But yeah, I guess. Uh, I guess back at that time that none of these folks existing in the, in, in the industry. No, not at all. All and of these roles had to be created. No, and, and, and look, and you can fast forward another three, four, five years into the e-com space and, um, and, and, and they didn't exist. And you really fudged it. You really fudged it until uh, e-commerce became a, a, a standard, a norm, a category, as the multi-channel retailers would call it, a multi-channel category or, ch- or channel, back to in the early days, you cobbled together a solution. You worked it out. You, you, you discovered SEO and how search engines could find you. And in those days, it was Ask Jeeves, it was Google, it was mm-hmm. you know, Another, uh, Yahoo, of course. And you really tried to work out how it, how it all came together. The revelation for us was when we had an order. And our yeah. first order was a McLaren Techno XT, I think it was at 99.99. It was priced at 149.99. Kitty Care was a value proposition, so it made sense, obviously, to carry that proposition online. And we received an order. And what and how much was that? That first order. 19. Uh, sorry, 99.99. Yeah, because I mean, that's quite a big ticket item to be selling online. At huge. Those huge. And you know, you have to come back to the point of what I said earlier was, <clears throat> would mums and dads buy product online in the baby vertical. Yeah. Because I was a, a new, uh, new father at, at the time, and what was concerning me was, uh, with little knowledge in the, in the industry, um, was you know, how do you fold uh, these buggies? How do, you, um, how do you choose a buggy versus a another? How do you put a car seat into a car? Is it relevant, is it right, does it fit? So how would first-time mums and dads cope? It later became apparent to me and apparent to the industry that uh, second-time mum and dads are far more comfortable with the purchasing of product cycle and were quite happy to go online if they knew what they were ordering. Yeah. Um, and that's obviously relevant for any product uh, in today's world. And how, how did you find these customers back then? Because when I joined in 2009, Kiki Care you know, was driving traffic from Google PPC, from SEO, YouTube and video was a big thing and we were, we were super unique in video. In fact, that's, that's the reason I joined originally. Um, social started to come in a couple of years later, but for the first decade, there was no Google PPC, or, or maybe there was, but... Well, PPC came, along, PPC came along a, a, from memory about 2003, maybe, okay. maybe slightly earlier, maybe late 2002. So we had a gap. Um, and actually that corresponded to the reality of uh, us actually as a family deciding um, we couldn't cope any longer yeah. uh, because in 2001 uh, the, the family, remember Kitty Care was a, a family run business, uh, actually wanted to quit mm-hmm. because what we discovered very very um, 
uh, badly was the reality of the couriers, which I touched on earlier. They were breaking the goods. So we started to work out what products could ship well. However, we were receiving products in non-courier compatible boxes. Yeah. Remember when you order on pallets or you order on a container, and in those days, guys, Kitty was ordering a box. We were not volume shippers. We were not a big company. So the pallets and the containers came later, at which point we could dictate the quality of the packaging and boxing because we obviously shipped single items. When we, were, when we received goods, we received um, boxes of boxes of boxes which were not compatible with being shipped. So everything was being broken. Couriers were also quite happily chucking the goods mm. over the fence. Yeah. So we had products which were not compatible with rain. We, were, we had products which were not compatible with being thrown over the fence. And we had products which were not compatible with being shipped because the boxes weren't good enough. So we actually, um, to answer your question, Fred, in, from, from 99 to 2001, we were winning on search engine optimization. We had little or no competitors. You yeah, always have yeah. competitors. I guess that's the key yeah. part of the early days. Mothercare, Mothercare joined, the, joined the rally, joined the deal uh, around um, 2000 um, with a very expensive, clunky solution, which you would expect any corporate environment to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they and had the brand, I guess. They and they had a... Oh, look, Mothercare could, should have killed us. Yeah. Mothercare at that time was profitable in the UK, profitable in its international markets, but much stronger in the UK, had 400 plus stores, uh, was in and out of different ownership with BHS and, and folks, but were very strong, di absolutely dictated the industry, period, were the volume shippers. And we were a small independent from nowhere. So, um, but we did get there first, we did have an agile attitude because we kept it thrifty on cost and we had built some tech and we had promoted a few of the guys and girls internally to do the pictures, to do the content publishing, um, to reconcile the orders, which we were getting. Yeah. Um, what we discovered obviously very early was our average orders were about 20, 30 pounds because what we were doing is coming up with co concepts of a rattle, uh, 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 some baby wipes, this in some kind of uh, in, in some kind of simple box. So if you added all those items for less than 50 quid, we boxed them in one box for you. We took an awful lot of time, which was a clear mm. mistake for us uh, going forward. But at that time, we were trying desperately to work out what could go in one box because it was one label, yeah. and therefore it was one cost from a courier point of view, rather than multiple labels and multiple boxes, and what profitably, how, we could, how we could work the profits. Because up until 2001, it was absolutely unprofitable to run online in our sector. And that's, that's interesting in its own right, isn't it? Because you know, we, we know as, as entrepreneurs that you, you know, you, there's little separation between life and work, particularly in those early days, it, you know, it's the same thing. Mm. So there must have been periods through that, you know, where there's, there's, there's no definitive outcome of how this is going to turn out and what the cost of that would be personally and financially. Oh, it was, um, it was make or break time. Yeah. So uh, I was part-time because I was working in London uh, running Scottell Associates, which was my IT consultancy business. And the family were at um, probably their last tether, if that's the right description. 
um, and simply said, we can't go on. And we had to make a decision. And uh, as a family, the decision was, and I, um, uh, I only know how to do things my way, and that was I would leave London, yeah. which was a very profitable experience mm -hmm. for me. I would jump uh, with both feet into Kitty Care. Mm -hmm. I would burn my bridges in London. So I actually uh, set up uh, Gurdip, who I mentioned previously, and I gave him, I didn't even sell it, I actually gave him my uh, 16 c uh, customers in London, who were banks, solicitors, and, and, uh, and others, which I had on a retainer contract. So I was particularly um, doing very well, and I jumped in with both feet into Kitty Care, burnt my bridges, and actually didn't look back. Because what Kitty Care needed at that point was uh, it needed it, it, it needed structure from an online point of view. But gosh, you have to remember in the early days, most businesses who were independents didn't have stock control. Yeah, yeah. They didn't have barcodes. They didn't know what they sold. We called it, um, you know. Uh, um, reporting today or, or um, DI or whatever it's called you know we, we you know they didn't know what they sold they, did, they certainly didn't know where it was um, and from an accounting point of view they were still running day books which were the old-fashioned you know quill and pen uh, writing what was in what was out from an invoice in an invoice out so we had no visibility of data wow. or visibility of product when when you jumped in and you you had that family meeting you obviously all decided to carry on and you jumped in was your mission to build something that it then became? So was your mission to build a business that would sell for a hundred plus million dollars or was it to survive? Or was it because maybe the type of person you are that you just couldn't allow it to fail? I think, Simon, you've nailed it on the head. It later became a, a hundred million pound dollar business, clearly. But um, I, was, um, I made a decision that um, online was the future and I had no right to make that decision. Yeah. Yeah. That was a gut instinct. Yeah. Um, I was absolutely, like almost all entrepreneurs, um, that probably don't know when failure is the, is the real decision yeah, and you have to there. accept that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I just refused to accept that this was a, a failure. I didn't know and nobody knew the opportunity. Nobody knew what online meant. Yeah. Nobody knew what cloud computing was and all this beautiful, sexy stuff we now talk about. Uh, and absolutely a challenge to us all at that time. We're still on dial-up. We're still on 33K. Or, 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 and I remember 96K. And I remember 33. And I remember... I think my first you know, experience with broadband. So, Sorry. you know, today we have broadband. or We call it broadband. Yeah. But it's, or we call it fibre. You know, in those early days, we were... You know, it's like a dinner on a fax machine and all those noises associated with having to connect to the internet through your internet service providers. We don't even refer to internet service no. providers today. We just call it broadband. So what? So going back then, because that's, that's interesting, isn't it, about that kind of lack of ability to fail, if that's for want of a better description. So you're in this place, you've given up everything that you held dear in many respects, you're living, I imagine, not that far away from the bread line. You're taking huge personal risks. Can you remember the day where, let's say, there's a, let's say there's an imaginary line on a graph, so but that line is absolute failure, even by whoever's measure. 
how close, in, even in your eyes, did you get to that line? And can you can you remember what it was? Because often it's a small thing, isn't it, that kind of tips you over the edge. Can you remember how? Close you know, um, it's a funny question because, as a family business, what I felt was with me or going against me is the responsibility. Yeah. When you when you jump in, when is your idea to create an online division? Um, and you found and you, you create that new business, which later became eighty five percent of the total business. Yeah. You 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 have a situation where I personally couldn't let it fail. And in a family business, I don't I, I wouldn't want to say credibility, because I I was a at the time a Mark sort of certified engineer. I built wide area networks. I obviously built local area networks. I was into some very sophisticated technology. But web was still in its infancy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I refused to accept that this wouldn't be profitable and this would fail. So I never got to that line, Simon. Right, I never accepted it. Now, don't get me wrong. The rumblings within the family of... Uh, and you have to remember, Kitty Kill was going for, I don't know, 10, 15 years, 20 years before um, as an independent store before you know, I, t- I turned up, if, or, if we want to refer to it as Scott mm. turned up. But, you know, I just felt from a credibility point of view, I had to make it work. And certainly when I jumped in, there was absolutely no going back. So do you think other people around, sorry, sorry do you think other people around you thought that it wouldn't? And is that, is that kind of what you attribute your success to almost, that you, that you always believed that you would make it work? Because of that. Because you had to. And, and it's interesting, actually, because I was listening to a podcast the other day, um, uh, a couple of guys were interviewing another entrepreneur, smaller scale um, in the kind of affiliate space and he was talking about the fact that his biggest motivator was the fact that his dad was the one that kind of tried to stop him leaving his old profitable job, you know, yeah. leaving the rat race to go and do this thing. But he was saying that, you know, that only ever comes out of a place of love and wanting to protect those people. So I imagine you probably on the family side had that whole kind of thing around, you know, we don't, we don't want that person to make that decision because it's difficult for them to tell you to keep going because they can see the pain that you have to go through to get there. It becomes almost a protectionist thing. Yeah, and, you, and, and, and I suppose what happened, if you think about um, 2001 to 2003, um, the business went through multi-millions. So we're on that sexy curve, mm. which we see on the, on the graphs nowadays when people pitch to, to ventures and they yeah. say, what we're going to do in 10 years' time, we're going to be a trillion-pound business. The reality is, is slightly different, but the reality for Kitty Care was this. We were growing rapidly. So the search engine optimization, the infancy of pay-per-click with Google, and, of course, Yahoo, mm-hmm. maybe even Ask Jeeves, because people forget Ask Jeeves, yeah, yeah. and, of course, Microsoft. And they call it Bing nowadays, but it used to be MSN and AltaVista. <laughs> I remember so, MSN, actually. So we had accounts. So I had, I had paid accounts with all of those, and we were trying to get to what we all now define today as return on investment, an ROI. Mm. Um, we were driving sales. We were driving uh, £1,000 a day, £30,000 a month. So all of a sudden, we had something to hang on to. Mm. We had something to protect. We had something to modify, because clearly it wasn't profitable. We had something to work with from a courier point of view. Now, that drove lots of challenges. Where mm. is the stock? 
what are we selling? Now, when you, by definition, when you, uh, you install the website or partitions of a website, Microsoft front page, a back product called Actinic, which was the, the basket as such, and maybe a bit of reporting, and your, your, your payment gateway, in this case was SecPay, what you had in KiddieCare was the only tech available. So what we had in the store was EPOS. We had some uh, cash register tills telling us how much we had done a day, two grand, five grand, 10 grand, but didn't tell us what we had sold. Online, we could actually grab the data and report of what we actually had sold. So we had, all, we had, a, we had a, 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 a two solutions effectively. We had that, what, what the big corporates and the big stores had when they first started, multi-channel. They had two problems. They had the store estate mm. and they had the online. So KiddieCare had that very early. And we, 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 so that was always our challenge. But we knew what we were selling and we were selling thousands of pounds of items per day. So we had something to create a mold. And very, very quickly, we started to replatform the business up until when we sold it in, 19, in 2011, we actually had replatformed the business five times. So in the first year, maybe 18 months, we stopped with what we had, and then very, very quickly, when we moved on to a new product called uh, E-Roll at the time, which was in English, just a better way of managing the online infrastructure and getting better data. So that's interesting, so it's still early days, you're doing, let's say you're doing 30 grand a month top line. What what was the single, if you, can, if you can nail it down to a single thing, what was the single biggest change or the, or the, 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 biggest, the, the most important attribute from taking that business from 30K to, let's say, a million turnover? Um, I think that's a really, really difficult question. One of the, one of the reasons I actually went to E-Roll, which don't exist anymore, which doesn't exist anymore, was the ability to print out what we call the packing notes. Okay. So, and at, um, uh, and at some point, I remember those packing notes being 50, 100, 200, 250. And if you, remember, and if you think about our average orders are 10 pounds, 20 pounds, 30 pounds, 40 pounds, and the bigger, the bigger ticket items went bigger, and, and the average order went up and up and up, we were sitting on effectively 10, 20, 30, 40,000 pounds worth of items in one um, print run. So we used to print off 100 orders, and then we used to go to the courier uh, boys and girls and they used to look at each order and they used to work out the weight and they used to print the label. Then they used to pack that label with that A4 piece of paper. Then it used to go into the warehouse and somebody needed to go and find those goods. Once they found them, they put that label on the goods and moved it to an area to be sent down to the truck. And where, and where were you, so, I mean, because at this moment in time, right, so, you know, uh, traditional retail business, nobody figured out that you kind of need as much space for warehousing at that time. Were you doing this stuff in the store? Where, where were you doing, like, packing? Wow. And there is your risk, because actually, we risked. We looked at the future and saw very early on in the village that we were in, which was called Warrington, and in a village store in Warrington, we did see the future. It was clear to me that if we were getting hundreds of pounds and 200 pounds and 1,000 pounds a day, we could get 10,000 a day. And if we were gonna to go to 10,000 a day, how would we cope? Yeah. So an opportunity came, uh, came up in the village or in the, in, the, in the area for a warehouse, and a bigger warehouse, and we took it. 
Right. Yeah. And it was a and it it just defines the family and defines kind of me really. You know, the realities are we're going to make a bet. Yeah. We're going to make the bet that the internet's here to stay and we want to be number one in this space. Now, by that time, we had the independents coming into the market, and 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 we were waking up clearly. Any sign of Amazon at this stage? No, nothing at all. So, and we were waking up Mothercare. So. We, 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 we raised the profile slightly in respect of the, we're going to go for a bigger warehouse, and then we bought big. So we start, you know, the bottom line is if you started to do a million pounds a year and two million pounds a year and three million pounds a year, you, you become on the radar of the suppliers. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're buying on pallet rather than single items. And the pallets are coming in and you're putting the pallet in, 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 in A space. Um, but what was funny and, and really cool was starting to affect the sales through AdWords because you could do so much. But when AdWords came into play, the business um, uh, 10 times. Mm. And, and were you, because you were really early on AdWords, obviously, you know, your cost per click must have been next to nothing. Yeah. So was it hugely, hugely um, profitable? That's oh, it's 30 to 1 ROI. <laughs> you know, and you can only dream of that now. Was I remember, I remember. I remember 15 to 1 ROI and, being, and, and thinking that was, we were paying too much. Amazing. You know, when we sold the business in 2011, I think it was down to 3 to 1. Yeah, and we only doing well at 3 to 1 nowadays. Yeah, we? so uh, f- at 15, even at 15 to 1. Oh, look, early again, you made a big bet on that. I remember joining in 2009 and you were pouring money into AdWords yeah. at that time. Uh, literally, but it was you know, 10, 11, 12 to 1 at that time. Yeah, look... Um, um, it was the, it was a differentiator when Google when we could control our product position on Google's um, page it um, it became obvious um, that that was a driver of sales but you have to come back slightly because if you think about family money and kitty care took no external money which is not, pretty not ever never and, and we're now in the VC business and here am I talking about no. kitty care and it took no money you know our overdraft was our external money. So that's an interesting th- interesting point because knowing what you knew now, not what you know now, would that have helped? Hugely. Yeah. Because the business had got to a point where it was scaling so rapidly, it was scary. Yeah. And when you when you when the family at the remember the original founders of the actual store, which were my in-laws, when you when you sit down with them and talk about Europe. Yeah. And we talk about let's go to 15 million in stock. <laughs> yeah rather than the 8 million we had in stock, it, it, it's a frightening prospect. So if you had 10 or 20 million pound in venture funding back in 2009, 2010, what would you have done differently? Um, I would have, I, I think the single DC was right. Uh, I think controlling inventory, remember we built nearly a quarter million square foot DC and we had fantastic, we had, we had optimised it from goods in all the way to goods out to the basket in the checkout in respect of online, and we obviously knew what we sold. So I would, I, I would have, I've thought about this for, for many years, I would have really probably gone multi, um, what, what a house of brands type of thing. We could have picked anything. Now if you look at the Hut group today, yeah. you know, they, they sell formula, they sell this, they sell that, and then generally if they can, put it in one location, in one warehouse. Mm. And they have multiple brands. And that could be multiple brand websites, or it could be one big uh, yeah. Amazon type of arrangement. But they had that, and I think we were going towards that, Fred, because at the end of Kitty Care, we had replatformed to IBM WebSphere. It was capable of doing a couple of hundred million turnover. We were at 45. Um, our infrastructure and our warehouse was so efficient. We were getting all of our orders done by 10:30, 11 
AM. Mm. See, that's a big difference to if you look back the ten years previous. Absolutely, we yeah. were working. We were working there, uh, in, you know, night and day. Yeah. But if you come back ten years, and re- and remind yourself what Kitty Care was, it was an efficient business. We didn't want returns, because it was our money. Yeah. So we introduced video. And what the video did for us was show customers how to fold the item. I was going to ask you about that because I mean I remember as a consumer actually at the time you know you guys being what the first I can remember in e-commerce mm. doing video and that. It doubled conversion rate. I remember on these. Right. Um, I remember the whole vision you kind of kind of sold me when when we first met was that as a new parent um, you don't know you know how this car seat fits in your <laughs> you car or how this pushchair folds. No. Um, I remember we had four and a half thousand SKUs, I think, at the time, and, and in the end, all of them had video, and we literally wow. saw conversion double um, because parents use this as a, as a way to and touch and feel without going to a store. Because now, obviously, there's a myriad of different ways you can host that video, but I mean, even that, I imagine, at that point, was hard to find it, these yeah. It was, but Google had bought YouTube around, yeah. that, around that point yeah. for a billion dollars, which yeah. we all thought was an oh my god moment yeah. and what they're doing. But the bottom line is, um, we had to reduce our returns. And our returns, people don't realize this, was only 1.3%. Now, if you think about ASOS at 60%, I believe ASOS is at 60% yeah. for their Ouch. clothing. Ouch. We were at 1.3. Why? Because it was our money. We weren't a corporate entity with bags of cash. So all of a sudden, you have to run a very tight ship. Now, it doesn't matter that you're doing half a million a month, which later became a million, which later became two, and later became three and four. The reality is that you have to fund it. And as we grew the business, we got more returns. We took that as a negative, not as a byproduct mm-hmm. of more sales. That's the difference. So we put, in thing, we put things in place to reduce our returns. When mobile became the norm, always approaching the norm, and there was an opportunity to put Kitty Care on mobile or on an app or a mobile site. You know, we created that, we, we created that experience because we thought mums and dads who were mobile would want to sit down in the coffee shop and browse the site. So we became this, we became this utterly efficient beast. Mm, and I guess... So you've been through that journey and you are at a place where you are turning over 45 million. You've got people knocking on your door interested in acquiring, finding out more about how you're doing this because I guess to a lot, particularly to corporates, it was Mm -hmm. voodoo really in many respects, wasn't it? Because they they weren't in this space, they needed to invest. Can you remember that point at which, I mean, you know, because everybody's always interested in the whole acquisition thing, aren't they? What did they do? Just phone you up because Morrison's obviously in the end, in the end became the acquirer. Was that the beginning and the end of the conversation? How, how did that come about? What was the decision making behind that? Well, actually, we were approached by the Twitter uh, investors, a company called Insight Ventures right. in, from New York, and um, not many people realise, but um, a year or two before, we were um, uh, I was taken to lunch or a, or a bar in in London, and they one of the early original investors into Twitter said, "Would you sell?" You know, and, and it was, um, we went through a process then of what have we got? What are we selling? Is this a good deal? Um, and we actually did sit down with them um, and they did, do, they did some DD on us. Right. Um, and we, I, I actually, to this day, I don't know if we would have sold. 
I don't know if we what were. What year was this? We were. We, this was about 2007, um, 2006, in, in, in 11. In 11. So this was very early doors, but we had something. And we were driving great efficiency. And I remember they pulled out, and they pulled out in 2006-7 because they said we owned the market. It wouldn't grow. We already had what was available. And I, um, I remember being disappointed. I don't know if I was disappointed with them or the number or them saying the market was, uh, uh, to, you know, what was was that wasn't there for us because we 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 owned and it already. At that stage, what what was your turnover? Probably about seventeen million. And you'd moved it to forty-five. We moved it to forty-five, and we could have gone, you know, into the into the galaxy with it. Um, it certainly spurred us on. Mm. And it was at that point we saw an opportunity to buy some land uh, in South Peterborough. Uh, you know, uh, we sat down with the family and convinced each other that we wouldn't buy a shed, we would build a, a new store and a new warehouse. And then we spent, um, uh, I spent a year working out what technology, and again, this would have been the fifth replatform. So we replatformed the business again for the move. The move was completed in around 2008. And then uh, we switched on uh, an advanced ERP uh, solution, an advanced pick and pack solution, an advanced kiosk solution in store. And we built a wonderful infrastructure that allowed us to know what was in stock, where it was, where it was in the chain of events. And and it it did something to Kitty Care, which was extraordinary. You know, we had become a, uh, a, a, a crystal clear business because what it allowed us to do was having a phenomenal back-end solution and a front-end solution which was integrated brilliantly, never done before in the world. It was Microsoft um, Dynamics and IBM WebSphere and uh, our search-guided navigation solution was called Indeca and they had never been put together mm. before in any platform. And what it allowed us to do is make the business transparent. And we started to do things which was very frightening to the family business and very frightening to our competitors. We opened it all up. We allowed reviews, one-star reviews to go on our products, Mm -hmm. which we see today is quite normal. It was not normal. Uh, I remember uh, my family members coming in to see me saying, why would you allow a one-star review on on one of the car seats when we have 2,000 of those car seats in stock? And, it, and, and, and my answer was, it will be, if we have faith in the product, uh, which we did, uh, it would be soon become a, a five-star review or four-and-a-half-star review, which I was correct on. We opened up, if we had a 2,000 of those items in stock, we published those stock. And that was a very, very uh, scary moment, because we were now showing our competitors what goods we had in stock and the volumes, and if somebody was clever enough, and they were not. They could, they could scrape our site and, and find out our sales. Yeah. And everybody said to me, don't do it, don't do it. From family to suppliers to staff. And I absolutely refused it because you have to remember, when you, you are in business, you have to give the customer confidence that you are not lying. Yeah. And in the early days of the internet, did you really have to stock? Yeah. Were you really just a shark? Were you really just going to take my money? Are you really going to deliver the goods tomorrow? And that's before next day became standard. Mm-hmm. It was three days or five days. You know, do you really have the stock? And we were bold enough and ballsy enough to put our stock online with the video of how it worked, with free delivery, and it was next day. 
and then we developed, along with DPD, Predict, which allowed them to receive a text message and rearrange by text message within an hour of delivery, all of which was 2008, 9, 10, 11, well before the norm we yeah, have today. Absolutely. So we were, ahead of our, we were ahead of the curve and we, because we just made an absolute play to bring dev in-house. So we went from having no dev to having these great guys who have been with me now for 15 years in-house and we developed our own technology in these advanced applications and became a reference site around the world for IBM. IBM rang me up and said, Scott, you're doing so well. Could we give you a discount? Could you become a reference site for us? Could you speak to Boots, Argos, you know, Halfords, etc., and just say, hey, this is what's possible. And the same for Indeca, and the same for our payment gateways, and the same for our video technology, and the same for everything we did. And we became a reference site. And, in, uh, and as such, we picked up 45 industry awards. And not just tech, which we mm -hmm. owned. We owned tech, not in our vertical, in the UK. I think that's, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because you, you listen to some um, entrepreneurs and they talk about the importance of timing, as we talked about earlier, but actually getting ahead of timing. So actually being stubborn enough, for want of a better description, to actually push something forward to a point where it actually becomes a thing. And then when you get to that point and you're ahead of the curve, and then everybody else started to come in and go, and actually, well, this guy is leading this, this business is leading this. What can we learn from it? So obviously by that point, you're on the crest of the way. You, was that when you started thinking about seriously considering offers for the business? Well, I had replatformed the business five times and it became apparent to me that it, because it's so painful and you have to teach the staff uh, new, 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 new products, which is you know, across the whole, we had a couple of hundred or 250 staff at that point. Everybody had to be an expert in it. Again, that's why we were so powerful. Everybody knew what to do. Everybody knew their role and everybody embraced it. And that platform could have gone on to two or three hundred turnover. Mm. And I knew deep down that that would pass due diligence. Yeah. You know, and I don't think DD was something um, the family even knew, d understood. Uh, you know, and to be fair, to, to a point, this is my first exit, so nor did I. Mm. But I knew deep down that if we did have uh, uh, an inspection of our technology, given we had so many awards, it would be pretty a, a big tick. And when Amazon came in in 2010 and said, here's 40 million quid, you had to stand back because 40 million quid is 40 million it's quid. A lot of money. You know, and yes, we had some borrowings and yes, that had to be paid off, but ultimately that was a large check. And when do you sell? You know, yeah. I, I think in my career, I have sold, I think, and I could be proved wrong, I've sold at the right time. Mm -hmm. You know, I've sold Kitty Can, I've sold Elevate. And you sometimes, as an entrepreneur, need to know when to get out. Absolutely. It's not just about getting in and the success of that and the ride. At some point, you need to get out. And if you look back at Kitty Care's graph, our sales were growing, our visitors were growing, our position in the industry was was strong. Mothercare were failing. The start of the store estate problems were starting to happen because the web was taking money off the store. Arguments between the store manager and the online manager <laughs> who owned the sale. Yeah. You know, politics. All the politics of, of big enterprise corporate yeah. retailers were starting to fray. 
Here where we are, with a single DC, a single store, happened to be the biggest in the country and Europe. The website happened to be the biggest from a volume point of view in Europe. It was the favorite website, according to Practical Parenting and Mother and Baby, etc., and all these awards. When you are at the top, Indeed. there is only one way to go. Now, either we maintained that investment or we sold. Mm. None of us, in my opinion, had been through an exit, a technology exit at that point. And certainly not at that scale. No. Amazon weren't, weren't just buying a brand. They were buying a growing brand based on its technology. It, technology enabled that beast. We started those conversations with Amazon and that highlighted some divisions in probably the family. And families are complicated beasts. And I'm, you know, um, you know, I'm pragmatic about it. And I was thinking, what's right for the family? We had no external money in. We were, we were borrowing money to prop up the, uh, to build the infrastructure, which we had done. I suppose we were now paying it back slowly. Stock always got bigger. You know, so when you think about, let's pay back some money to the family that they put in, and all of a sudden we need five million or 10 million and 15 million pounds worth of stock. When's the money coming back? So we had some open, open questions. So come back to your VC money. Never crossed my mind. Never was educated to realise that was an opportunity. Yeah, I think that's the really interesting thing, isn't it? Because I would agree with you with my own journey, is that you, you become educated through the M&A process, actually, don't you? Yeah. Often on your first exit. Yeah. You wish you'd known that. Oh, educated at the end. You know, so. um, yeah. you know look, uh, ultimately, given the, the, the success of the profile and the amount of awards we had and the DD in reference to the technology and the scalability of it, we had 17 bids for the business. The business was put up for sale. I sat down for, it felt like six months, it was probably three or four months, and I put an IM together, an information memorandum together. And um, I remember to this day that brochure read beautifully, mm -hmm. was just what you wanted if you were selling your business and if you were buying a business, wow, what, a, what an opportunity. Um, and we had developed our own brand of products. Um, we had developed a, a platform to ship these products very quickly and efficiently. The staff were humming. We had a, a, we had a proposition which was just perfect. And I have to be honest, when, when, um, um, when the 17 bids came in, or 16 bids came in actually, we, were, um, we, had, pro we, we, we had prices from 20 million from Boots, and we had prices all the way up to 50 million from uh, Mothercare and, and Tesco. And then the last five, um, last couple of weeks, but certainly the last five people in the round, as, as they do, they increased it eventually to mm. 70. In fact, I turned down 79 from Amazon because um, what had become apparent, which I hadn't taken into consideration at all, mm. was that they wanted, they wanted actually me to stay. Yeah. Interesting, because you know, often people think through the M&A process that you just take the highest bid, but that's not necessarily the case. No, and it wasn't the case at all. And, and you look back and you think, was that right and that, was that wrong? What was actually apparent was I had to stay. And I, it, took me a, uh, it took me a while to reconcile because most people who sell businesses, or, or certainly most people who look at people selling businesses, think they, they ride off into the sunset. Yeah. And there's that, or they buy a boat and they sail off around the world. Mm -hmm. And I, um, it took me a while to reconcile this, uh, probably a week. Um, and then once I did, it became a, right, if they're all at the same price, 
which ultimately they ended up being, um, who is the best choice? And then, Mother, uh, and then uh, Morrison's turned up. And Morrison's turned up three weeks before we made the decision. Wow. And they said... Um, Morrison sold you, the, sold you the dream, right? Morrison sold me the dream. Look, Morrison sold me the dream. And that was, we are uh, four or five years behind Tesco. We have been watching Tesco make the mistakes. And therefore, as a, um, a different type of retailer, uh, we would like to not be first, but uh, get it right first rather than watch, te you know, be a Tesco. Um, we would like you to use your technology to launch Morrison.com and we would like you as CEO of Morrison's.com. Um, we have four billion on the balance sheet in cash. Um, how, given, you know, you've got all these offers, um, do you want to run Morrison's.com? And it was weird because the offers were mother care uh, not, didn't quite get to 70, but they, 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 they mortgaged themselves to death to get nearly there. And they said, right, Scott, we want to lift and shift the technology into Europe. We want to take it around the world and into Europe. Okay? I couldn't quite get my head around how that would work. We had uh, Tesco saying, actually, Scott, we want, we want, we're going to launch the stores. We're going to put this in store and we're going to launch that, that must have been 100 yeah. stores. And that was pretty exciting. Yeah, yeah. And then we had, then we had uh, uh, Amazon turned up at the end again and, and increased their bid and simply increased their bid not to be beaten. Yeah. And, I, and, I, and I was scared of the American. I, I, I knew, I, you know, I, I had been warned that Amazon or the Americans would have probably eaten me alive very quickly. Yeah. And that became apparent because they bought one of my um, peers in New York called Diapers for half a billion and closed Remember that, diapers. Mm -hmm. um, so if they, can, if they can close diapers, and they weren't quite there at that point, yeah. but I had, a, I had a feeling that, could I, could I or couldn't I work with the Americans? Could I, and you know, a part of me absolutely wanted to. I met them, I met the CEO uh, of the UK, and I absolutely, could I have ended up at Amazon? I, I don't see why not. But at the time, Morrison's gave me an out, and that was, you gotta stay anyway, Scott. Why don't you run Morrison's.com? This is quite interesting because before we started this, I was thinking about what the title of this could be. And it's you know, the obvious thing is, you know, the, the 70 billion exit to Morrison's, two times exits, whatever. But actually, you are the man that turned out Amazon. There's not been many of those. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. That says lots. Um, you know, Amazon's a juggernaut, and, 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 and I'm a, I think I've, I've described myself over the years as a technician. Um, or a tech enabler, and I've used tech to dif differentiate between you know, somebody else and my proposition, and sometimes tech is the difference, yeah. even though it's the same yeah. uh, solutions. Uh, and if you can enable customers to get on your site or get to your product or get the delivery and get it today, then you, and that is tech enabled, then and so be it. Tech is a differentiator. You know, I've gone through many, many arguments with people saying, well, tech is just an enabler, and it's not important. And we're now in the dot-com industry, we're now in the dot-com 21st century, where it's absolutely critical. And we're seeing stores fall over. Well, it's actually quite good timing we're talking about this, because in the last week we've had Mothercare go into administration, Mamas and Papas go. Mamas have gone, yeah. Um, so, you know, both peers yeah. at the time. Toys R Us have gone, Babies R Us have gone, you know, half the independents I competed against have gone. 
and really the high street from a baby vertical point of view, certainly from a baby so equipment point of view, exist. must be, yeah. I, you know, I, 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 I want to say non-existent, but who is out there now? Yeah. Um, it's it's gone to Amazon. Yeah. So therefore, you come back all the way to the beginning and say, how do you solve the first-time buyer problem? Where are first-time buyer mums and dads going? Mm. Wow. So where are they going? Social. Maybe John Lewis. So, or social. Social. Maybe, maybe social. So easy. Maybe social. Yeah. 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 Um, so last question on the kiddie care subject. Um, some conscious time. Did you ever celebrate? Because I remember, I remember that acquisition day. Um, I don't think it was a day of celebration or no or, or, or no. fun. And I seem to remember the next day it was it was it was back to normal. Yeah. Look, family businesses are tough. You know, the politics around a family business are um, there for most to see. You, know, you have original founders who uh, are, are mourning, probably, uh, a sale of the family business. You have um, second-time uh, founders or uh, second-time um, kids who, who, who are the, pet, the sons and daughters of the, the original founders saying, actually, uh, we've spent the last 20 years, 30 years, mm. 15 years, whatever it is, building this business. And it's a really difficult question, Fred, because no, we didn't celebrate it. Mm. Um, and um, to this day, I don't think the family has celebrated it. I would like to think if the family uh, all stood back and now realise what has happened to the vertical, um, that we got out at the right time and we got out at the top and on that sexy graph, you know, that curve of graph, you think, wow, um, you know, our competitors have all gone bust. Yeah. Our competitors generally had more money than us. But we built a platform. I was recognized three or four years in a row as sixth most powerful man in online retail. Now, that's lovely. Um, and the people who were in front of me were working for Amazon, and it was Jeff Bezos, and it was Nick from ASOS, or it was blah. But the reality was that that, was a, that, that showed something, and that was we were able to build great technology at a fraction of the cost of what the corporates could, do it in-house, duck and dive, and launch it tomorrow. Our competitors never, ever got it, mm. even though they had tens and hundreds of millions of pounds. Agility is critical, and I, and I think going back, Fred, to your point about celebrating exits, that's a really interesting point, isn't it? Because I think you know, people have never exited do have this get this vision, this view of, you know, the fact is you see the noughts go into your bank account and then, you know, you go and buy a crate full of champagne and throw it all over each other and then, like you say, sail off on your boat into a sunset. But having been there myself, and now I'm really interested in your view in this, is that uh, somebody described it like this to me and it kind of perhaps curtailed my celebration somehow. But I think that the words were, do you feel like you've sold your baby? in the place of your, in that baby, in that car, is a bag full of money. Uh, there was, Simon, I can only say it was a, a very sad day. Yeah. Because everybody from the outside, particularly when the press picked up 70 million, yeah. you know, and, and then you have exchanged family members ringing you up saying, can I have some? Yeah. The reality yeah. Um, of working all your life. I was 18 years old when I started my first business. I was 39 when we, had, when we sold Kitty Care. That is a 20-year, 30-year yes. journey, whatever the number is, a 20-year journey. Um, for my in-laws, it was a 35-plus-year mm. journey. Mm. And whilst they 
I'm sure, realise it was the right deal at the right time and it was correct to sell, there was nothing, there, we, we couldn't celebrate. And I look back now and recognise that when you sell a family business, you are selling the baby. You are. You're selling the revenue stream. Mm -hmm. um, and, and there is a hole that you wake up to the following day. Now, unfortunately for me, I had to work with Morrison's for two years. <laughs> and, I, and, 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 with it, and, and, and it was a requirement of the sale. And a lot of people think, Scott, you didn't have a contract saying stay for two years. But I had a handshake saying I would. And I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a word, you know, I'm a man of, of his word. And when I, so when I shook that hand, I got the best deal for the family and I stayed for two years. But my wife and I, Ellie and I, went through absolute hell for two years. It was, you know, how does a agile, brilliant, online, sexy business go into corporate ownership when that corporate is old, siloed, doesn't really want to go online. And it turned out, even when I met the IT guys at Morrison's, Morrison's was on a, a big Oracle solution, spending half a billion on Oracle, and I was an IBM. Yeah. Incompatible computer from technology. No. Computer says no. <laughs> Incompatible from, from day one on people, process, and tech. If you had a time machine and went back to 2011, would you have picked the same outcome? It's ironic, isn't it? Because I would have picked Amazon. Not for the money. Yeah, I think we were, I think uh, I look back now and, and realise that everybody who came in for Kitty Care uh, was a store, store based, knew how to open stores in their opinion anyway. Yeah, and actually, and who was I? I was yeah. an online dude yeah. um, who built platforms, who built efficiency. And culturally, as much as anything, there's that, isn't there? It, you, you, know, you, you just headbutt. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. So Amazon weren't that. Now, the question you should be asking is would it have been the same? outcome mm. because yeah, how long would, would you have lasted you know, how long would it have lasted how long would a kitty care lasted mm. under american owners would they would they have sucked in the categories and sucked in the suppliers sucked in the own brand sucked in the factories and then said nobody can beat our tech mm. and therefore we are amazon okay so look, I'm, I'm aware of time so i'm going to i'm going to move this on really quickly now because i think we, we could literally i think in between us sit here all day because it is an extraordinary story but I guess people are, are listening now are going, right, great, you know, you've done well, you've stuck 70 quid in the million, 70 quid, <laughs> let's hope there was a few more dollars than that, 70 million quid in the bank, you know, and to most people that's money beyond their wildest dreams, but as we discussed, it doesn't actually change that many things, but what I think the real value is, and correct me if you're wrong, if you think I'm wrong here, but the real value in what that whole experience was is the actual, the intellectual value that it gave you in terms of carrying what you've learned forward into new things and obviously and very short story very quickly you know you then quickly moved on to your second business and that second exit was much quicker now I imagine that's mainly because of what you learned from that elongation of time that we've just talked through there yeah. and in selling Elevate was that the case? Yeah uh, look you know selling uh, Kitty Care introduced me to M&A you know, so it's management and acquisition or, or, or management and something, whatever you want to call it. It, it, it taught me how to uh, prepare a business for sale. Yeah. And, and I, I mentioned it earlier, the tech has to be right from a DD point of view. Um, and fundamentally, uh, you know, I, I, I have never changed since I was 18. Um, I build businesses 
Now, I've now I'm now known for building tech businesses, I suppose, and Elevate was a monetization platform which allowed suppliers or brands or, or others to effectively affect product position on, you know, let's call it Iceland's website. So if you were a supplier to Iceland and you were selling bread or you were Hovis, you could log on to Elevate and move your product from page two to page one, maybe even position one. And that is a supplier contribution model. Now that has been and has existed in offline retail store world for 30 years. On average, particularly in the grocery world, 4% of uh, grocers receive uh, their income, you know, they get 4% of, of their income from suppliers in supply and contribution, but it hadn't gone online. Mm. And when I looked at the Amazon model, Amazon received 6.4 billion a year by allowing their suppliers and their sellers and their marketplace sellers to compete against each other by allowing them to bid up the product or listing higher up the website. It was obvious to me. And yeah, their ad business, which that was for all under now, is now something like getting on towards 15 billion a year. It is extraordinary and growing at 40%. Yeah. And here was I. So I very, very quickly grabbed my old KiddieCare engineers once Morrison had imploded and KiddieCare was being <laughs> sold or, sold or shut, uh, which was a travesty. Uh, I grabbed my uh, old engineers and I said to them, we're going to do a new uh, project. Um, and we very, very quickly span up over three or four years an absolutely beautiful platform. And the challenge I had was going to the retailers and trying to re-educate retailers. When you go into Morrison's or you go into Tesco or you go into Sainsbury's and you say to them, you've got 50,000 SKUs, you can't merchandise all of them yourself, so you put them in price order, so, which is not great, experience mm. the customer. Why don't you allow your suppliers to effectively do that for you and, and you get paid for the pleasure, i.e. Amazon, because the best products end up in the best places or the most relevant product Ends up on the most relevant. Comes pages. a self-fulfilling prophecy as yeah. well, of course, doesn't yeah. it? Because you bought them. But you cannot change people. You've got store folks with online capabilities. They are not online people. They are not agile, data-driven organisations. They are store folks with an online channel. So when I used to go into them and say, hey, it's me, you know me, what about this opportunity? Why don't you allow this to happen and be an Amazon? They said, I do not want to affect the customer journey. One of those conversations was with Mailcare, who are now an admin. One of those conversations with, was with another retailer on the high street, who are now bust. So what became apparent is that I had built some brilliant technology in the UK, but I couldn't scale it. And this comes back to my point earlier of knowing when to mm. exit. Yeah. So or raise money. Or raise money, yeah. So we had raised 1.5, the first time ever I had taken external money into any of my businesses. However, I was now the VC because I was propping the business up. I knew we were, our revenues weren't good enough to go and raise any more money. I became the bank. It became uh, like Kitty Care, if this is my money, how do I make it profitable rather than drain on my business? So we built a very efficient system. We cut the staff from 22 to 10, made it very efficient, nearly break even, but not quite, but we're moving there and we got the call. We had that beautiful call from America, like everybody in, in tech wants. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. Microsoft, it wasn't Google, there wasn't Apple, but it was a, a quoted New York listed business. And they said, we would like to buy your technology. And a year later, 
we sold that technology to Quotient um, in a multi-million pound deal, which was wonderful for the team mm. and for me, obviously. Mm. But it was the right time to get out. It comes back to that point that you, you, you spoke about right at the beginning around you, you had to keep going. And lots of venture-funded businesses or lots of you know, other businesses that got to that point, Elevate got to where there was no money left, would have just given up at that point. You have to left. believe. Yeah, I'm a dog. You know, I'm a dog. So, so, so you know, uh, when is the right time? How do you pivot a business? Do you let it go? Do you pivot the business and, and change direction? You know, what do you do? Uh, I'm a believer. I, I believe in myself, I believe in my team. I think the challenge is, is when you have members of your team uh, which are probably, um, you know, look, in the last 15, 20 years, I've kept my core group together. Mm. So I'm very lucky and they believe in me, which sometimes is quite hard because you have to... You've got to earn. Yeah. You've got to deliver. You've got to earn. You've got to deliver. And yeah, you're right. So it's, you know, sometimes, you know, it's very difficult. And then you bring in new folks and it's the new folks who are the disruptors. Elevate had a, was a prime example. I had new folks in Elevate's business which were a cancer, who absolutely said, this is going to fail. Every day, yeah. every day. Yeah. And eventually you move those folks out because you just can't convert them. Uh, and, and it was, and, and really, you know, if you're gonna, you know, I, I built that business not just to sell, but, you know, not, and I don't wanna say in spite, but we built that business and we sold it, even though those folks absolutely said it was, this was going to fail. That business now is scattered in America on the biggest grocers in America. Technology that we invented and we built, which is flying in the States, powered by the original engineers who are still there. It's an absolute fantastic success story. It's brilliant. It's a fantastic outcome and it's, it's great to see. We, we still know the guys very well. In fact, they're in one of our, our Hatchdesk co-working spaces. And it's great to see the tech being embraced and scaled over there. And I think, you know, you're right. That clearly, we've, we've felt over the last hour of the, the podcast that, you know, you, you've been through a lot to get to where you've got. It's, it's, you know, it's the iceberg thing, isn't it? Of looking at somebody and going, right, they're successful. They've had... 150 million dollars worth of exits, mm. you know, well that's wonderful, but it's been hard, Ryan. What, what I want to do in the last bit of the podcast, um, to try and get some value out, you know, for the people that are listening, I'm sure they've got some already, is just to go through some quick fire questions around kind of final thoughts really, to try and capture um, the kind of generic kind of learning around that. I so, think we put some fun ones in here yeah, as well. Yeah, yeah, we did, we, and we're certainly going to end with a fun one, which we're going to try and <laughs> ask everybody that comes onto the show, this is exactly the same one. So. Firstly, a nice and short answer if you can. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Uh, do the job yourself. Okay. Because okay. you, you can't scale it unless you um, know how it works. First. Okay. Then delegate. I like it. Um, describe yourself as a teenager in three words. Um, restless, arrogant. Not well, sure the third word. <laughs> Not pretty. <laughs> okay. What is your biggest pet? What annoys you the most? You can't say me in this. Um, uh, corporate, corporate environment. <laughs> I don't believe the corporate environment. And I'm, look, I'm a retailer in the UK, and I'm watching the retail um, in, um, just self-destruct. And I believe it's because they haven't put uh, uh, the, the web, the internet, the data at the heart of their business and turned their businesses inside, around, inside and upside down. If you look at ASOS, you look at Boohoo, and there's plenty of other examples, 
You've got to turn your business inside out and focus on, mm. um, on intelligence. And the stores are now blaming, the management people are blaming uh, rates and rent, and they're probably not wrong. However, they never faced the juggernaut called Amazon 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, five years ago. And now they're all being flattened. Good answer. Um, I think I know the answer to this question, but if you weren't in the startup industry or you weren't in retail for the last 30 years, what or would te- you or, or tech, or what VC. would you have done? <laughs> I think. You, well, I don't know the answer, so you tell me. <laughs> I think you were going to say footballer. Well, I, 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 I tell you what is. I tell you what I do recognise in myself. I wanted to be a footballer. I was playing for the county and for various other sides when I was 15. I had my ankles broken in a bad tackle and I never went back in. So I hope that wasn't some kind of mafia <laughs> hit. Yeah, that was a mafia hit. <laughs> and I, I, one of my biggest strengths at the time was realising I wasn't going to make it. Yeah. And I, uh, I, I, so I burnt my bridges and never went back, never played football again. Some, some interesting learnings for business. And, I, and, I, and I picked, as it happens, computers. And, I, and I, in those days, it was YTS or Trident. So I jumped into a computer store for 35 quid a week for two years uh, when I was 16, knowing that I couldn't go back. So move forward. And I picked that vertical and I stuck to it. Okay. Interesting on this one. And the answer cannot include, obviously, people. So not wife and children. But if your house was on fire, what two things would you run back in to get? Uh, wow, I wasn't expecting that question. Um, <laughs> that's a re- that, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's I'm not. If it, if you it, off the hook here by saying you can't pick your wife and children yeah. if you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I clearly would grab the dogs. Um, um, I don't know if I'd grab the phone. You know, um, the phone's become a computer with the emails and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if I'd grab the phone. Um, if I did, I'd probably video using one second videos <laughs> app, yes, uh, the actual, um, vi- the house burning down. So it's a very difficult question. I'm not sure the okay, answer. Phone. We, t- we take phone. Um, who would play you in the movie of your life? And don't just pick the best looking actor. <laughs> <laughs> or... um, I actually love Robert Redford. Uh, so that's an age thing, probably. No, that's sure. um, he, uh, I would uh, I would uh, uh, I would challenge uh, Robert to do it. Okay. I like this one as well, and actually, I, I've historically asked this in interviews. It always gets an interesting look. If you had a spirit animal, what would it be? Or I, if you were an if you had to be an animal, what animal would you be? Um, I would. Why? I'd probably be a bull. You know, um, I, I, I tend to be stubborn, um, but I think from a, I, I, I tend to make things work and make things happen and push things along, so I'd probably be able. Interesting. Good answer. Yeah, good answer. Okay, you'll be glad to know there's two questions to go, both of which are fantastic. Um, <laughs> if you had one superpower, what would it be? Well, I'm not going to be rude. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I imagine I'd like to know what people are thinking. Gives me an advantage. Yeah, uh, I've always assumed what people are thinking, and sometimes I've uh, got it wrong. Assumptions, the mother of all fuck-ups. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to. Uh, I'd like to know. Yeah, I like always that. think transparency would be quite good as well. Yeah, to go invisible. Yeah. Yeah. Invisibility, not transparency. That's a yeah, different thing. Invisibility. Yeah. yeah. Invisibility would be good. Anyway, and then the final one, which actually is a personal favourite of mine. 
you're, you've got to fight for your life here, right? Would you rather fight one horse-sized duck or a hundred duck-sized horses, and why? Wow. <laughs> Do I understand the question? Would I understand the question? I actually thought um, that when you were saying that initially, you meant would I back one type of scenario? Yeah, you, you've got to fight them. So one huge horse-sized duck, think about the size of the beak, damage that you could do, or 100 little ankle biters coming at you constantly. One. One. Yeah. yeah. Good choice, I think. Yeah, good yeah, choice. choice. That was brilliant. It was good. Fantastic. Yeah, thank you, Scott, for doing that. And um, hopefully you've all got quite a lot out of it. We will uh, return to BAU next week with um, kind of update on our portfolios and what we've been working on with with our portfolio businesses. Um, when we're also going to dig a bit deeper into the kind of the world of VC and the jargon and you know making sure that we did all the stuff that we talked about in the pilot, yeah, absolutely, which will be good. Um, so make sure you listen in to the next one and uh, keep an eye on all of our um, social channels. Where we have to say, don't we? Like, subscribe, share, follow. And any other action that you can possibly Anything think you can of. Do. And uh, we'll see you next time. Brilliant. So thanks for listening. Thanks Cheers, guys. Time.